<clears throat> this is the second day of this January 2023 seven-day Rohatsu Sashin. And I'm going to read again uh, today from this book by Ajahn Chah entitled, Everything Arises, Everything Falls Away. Continuing from yesterday, uh, we're starting a chapter six, which is entitled Seeing Things as They Really Are. And Ajahn Chah says, the Buddha taught to look at whatever appears. Things don't stay. Having arisen, they cease. Ceasing, they appear again, and having appeared, they cease. But a confused, uninstructed person doesn't want it to be this way. If we meditate and become tranquil, we want to remain like that and don't want any disturbance. But that isn't realistic. The Buddha wanted us to first look at the facts and know these things as deceptive, then we can really have tranquility. When we don't know them, we become their owners and the trap of self-view comes about. So we have to go back to the origin and find out how it happened that way. <clears throat> we look for relief in things, in things outside ourselves. We want everything that's unpleasant to stop, we want to get what we want, Nothing wrong with that, but we expect it. Everything that we dislike, everything painful, we're really not willing to open to it all the way. We're not willing to see it completely. Sort of whistling in the graveyard. Maybe if I ignore it, it'll, it'll change, it'll go away. That's not the way of practice. It's not the way out of our, of our suffering. The uh, psychologist Marshall Linehan, <clears throat> also a Zen teacher, uh, said, the only way out of hell is through it. We have to see it. He says, we have to go back to the origin and find out how it happened that way. We have to understand the way things really are, the way things contact the mind, how the mind reacts, and then we can be at peace. This is what we have to investigate. If we don't want things to happen the way they do, we won't have peace. Wherever we may try to escape to, things still happen the same way. This is their nature. 
like someone in a bowling alley. The ball is going into the gutter and they're throwing every bit of body English they can to try to keep it in the lane. The ball is going where it wants. It's already been released. It's true that we don't know how things are going to turn out. And so we hope that they'll turn out the way we want. But really, do we have the ability to control our environment in any meaningful way? He says, simply speaking, this is truth. Impermanence, suffering, and absence of a self are the nature of phenomena. Again, these are the three characteristics of existence as laid out by the Buddha. Anika, Dukkha, and Anatta. These are the nature of phenomena, of things, processes. They are nothing else but this. But we give things more meaning than they really have. It's really not so difficult to make wisdom arise. It means looking for the causes and understanding the nature of things. When the mind is agitated, you should realize this is not certain, impermanent. When the mind is calm, don't start thinking, ah, really peaceful, because that is also not certain. When someone asks, what kind of food do you like best? Don't get too serious about that. If you say you really like something, what's the big deal? Think about it. If you eat it every day, will you still like it so much? You'll probably get to the point where you say, oh man, not again. We had friends who came to eat with us one evening. They drove up from Ithaca, uh, a couple with two kids. And in the car, they had a hand crank ice cream maker and uh, they were making our dessert, mango sorbet. And uh, when they announced that, the kids said, oh, not mango sorbet again. (laughs) (coughs) Says, do you understand this? You can end up getting sick of the very thing you like. It's because of the changeability of things And this is what you should come to know. Pleasure is uncertain. Remember, whenever he says uncertain, he's really saying impermanent. Because it's impermanent, it's uncertain. It's not fixed. It's not going to stay. Unhappiness is uncertain. Liking is uncertain. Tranquility is uncertain. Agitation is uncertain. Absolutely everything is uncertain. So whatever occurs, we understand this, and we won't be taken in by anything. All experiences, without exception, are uncertain, because impermanence is their nature. Impermanence means that things are not fixed or stable, and very simply speaking, this truth is the Buddha. I read something once by a guy named Carlo Rovelli. I think it was a book about time. Um, 
Italian writer, I believe. He said, things, things in quotation mark, things in themselves are only events that for a while are monotonous. Everything, the most solid object, is alive. And someday it will cease to exist, no matter what it is. John Cha goes on, Anika, uncertainty is the truth. Truth is present for us to see, but we don't take a good, clear look at it. We don't take a good, clear look at it because we don't like it. And when it comes in, when we're face to face with it, our first reaction is, how can I get out of this? How can I make things bend to my will? Why won't they bend to my will? Why won't my legs stop hurting? Why won't my mind stop being so scattered? The Buddha said, those who see the Dharma see me. If we see anicca, the quality of being uncertain, then all things, in all things, then detachment and world weariness come about. Oh, this is merely so much. Hey, that's merely so much. It's not actually anything so great, it's merely so much. The mind becomes firm in this. It is merely that much. Ah. After realizing this, we needn't do anything very difficult in our contemplation. Whatever we encounter, the mind is saying it's merely that much. And it stops. That's the end of it. We will realize that all phenomena are only deceptions. Nothing is stable or permanent, but rather everything is ceaselessly changing and has the characteristics of impermanence, suffering, and not self. It's not so much drama. Not worried that things are about to fall apart. We have a little distance from the drama of our lives. Everything, deep sorrow and grief, joy, love, It's all wonderful, it's all amazing, but nothing lasts. And it's, we're hurt, we suffer because we think it will last, we want it to last. Until we see clearly the nature of things, detachment is just an idea, it's just a word we hear. But when we do begin to see it, and we can see it to even a small degree, it makes a difference. I think I'm only qualified to talk about seeing it to a small degree. 
Things become lighter. Hills are not so steep. The task in front of us is not so daunting. He says, it's like a blazing red-hot iron ball that has been heated in a furnace. What part of it will be cool? Try to touch it if you will. Touch the top and it will be hot. Touch the bottom, it will be hot. Touch the sides and they will be hot. Why is it hot? It's a blazing iron ball that is red hot throughout. When we understand this, we won't touch it. When you are feeling, this is really good, I like it, let me have it. Don't give such thoughts credence. Don't take them too seriously. It's a red hot iron ball. If you touch any part of it, if you try to pick it up, you will be burned. You will experience a lot of pain. Your skin will break open and bleed. We should be contemplating this at all times, walking, standing, sitting, lying down, even when we are in the toilet, when we are going somewhere, when we are eating, or after we have eaten, and we excrete the waste from our food, we should be seeing that all we experience is unstable and impermanent, and that it is also unsatisfactory and without self. Things that are unstable and impermanent are uncertain and unreal. Without exception, they are all untrue. It's just like the red-hot iron ball. Where can we touch it that it won't be hot? Absolutely every part of it, part of it is hot, so we stop trying to touch it. We stop trying to freeze things the way we like them. Stop trying to get that good report card that's somehow going to make everything okay. Everybody has this idea, most people, that if I just do enough, I just succeed enough, finally I'll be able to relax. I'll be comfortable, I'll be secure. But that kind of security doesn't exist. Everything is in motion. The only security is being in the flow of events as they happen, taking the good and the bad. Good days, bad days, concentrated mind, scattered mind. Sashin teaches us anything. It's not to believe that conditions last. Everything is changeable. When we really get that down, and it takes a long time, finally realize this isn't necessarily going to last, then things begin to move. We have a little, we have peace when we stop demanding static peace, permanent success. Chasing after praise is futile. My wife had a a company, and uh, one of the account executives that worked for it used to say, one aw shit wipes out a hundred attaboys. 
<clears throat> in the world of business, it's always, what have you done for me lately? Ajahn Chah says, this is not something difficult to train in. For example, parents warn a child not to play with fire. Don't go near the fire. It's dangerous. You'll get burned. The child may not believe her parents or understand what they're talking about, but if she touches the fire just once and gets a burn, after that, the parents won't need to explain anything or try to control her. No matter how much the mind is attracted to or infatuated by anything, you have to keep reminding it. It's not sure. It's not permanent. <clears throat> you might get something like a glass and start thinking how beautiful it is. <clears throat> I think Ajahn Chah had so few possessions that a nice glass was a big deal. What a nice glass. I will store it away and take really good care of it so it won't get broken. Then you have to tell yourself it's not certain. You could be drinking from it and set it down by your elbow, and in a moment of carelessness, you knock it over and it breaks. If it doesn't break today, it will break tomorrow. If it doesn't break tomorrow, it will break the day after tomorrow. Things that are subject to being broken are not where you should be placing your trust. I remember um, in Afghanistan when the uh, Taliban came to power, one of the many times they came to power, um, they destroyed this amazing, gigantic Buddha statue that was built into the side of a cliff. I think they dynamited it. And I remember reading uh, a reaction from someone in Southeast Asia, a uh, Theravadan Buddhist. His take was, it's the nature of things. Nothing is permanent. Nothing lasts forever. Be so easy to be outraged at the, the cruelty, the uh, <clears throat> transgression. <clears throat> this impermanence is the real dharma. Things are not stable or real. Nothing about them is real. And just this fact is what is real. Are you going to argue this point? It is the most certain thing. Being born, you must age, fall ill, and die. This is the permanent and certain reality, and this permanent truth is born of the truth of impermanence. Examining things thoroughly with the standard of not permanent, not certain, a transformation takes place into something permanent and certain, and then no one longer care, no one no, and then one no longer carries the burden of things. The disciples of the Buddha awakened to the truth of impermanence. From awakening to impermanence, they experienced detachment and weariness with things, or nibbita. Must be a poly term. This weariness is not aversion. If there is aversion, that is not really weariness, and it does not become a path. Nibita is not what we think of as world weariness in the ordinary way. 
For example, living with our families when we are not getting along well, we might start thinking that we're really becoming disenchanted in the way the teachings mention. That's not it. It's merely our defilements increasing and oppressing our hearts. I'm really fed up. I'm going to leave it all behind. This is weariness because of defilement. And what really happens is that your defilements become greater than before you gave yourself this idea of weariness over things that disagree with you. It's like the idea we have of metta, loving kindness. We think we're supposed to have loving kindness toward people and all living things. So we tell ourselves, I shouldn't have anger toward them. I should feel compassion. Really, sentient beings are lovable. You start having affection for them and it ends up being desire and attachment. Be careful about this. It is not just a matter of what we normally call love. This is not metta in the way of dharma. It is metta mixed with selfishness. We want something from others and we call it metta. We also want to see ourselves a certain way. So much of people's good actions are born out of the, the desire to be seen by others and, and by themselves as a good person. It's different when you care more about others than you do about yourself. That's a pretty high bar. You have the phenomenon of people who <clears throat> live a, a life of virtue being irritable. Why? Something about thinking that you've got it right that makes one intolerant. The more virtuous you think you are, the less flexible and open you become. Really, the ideal is the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's the left hand that doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I didn't get a lot of Christian training, so I'm not sure. Again, he says, we want something from others and we call it meta. This is similar to our ordinary world weariness. Oh yeah, I'm tired of it all. I'm getting out. That's just big defilement. It's not world weariness or dispassion. It's only giving the same name to it. That's not the way of the Buddha. If it is correct, there is giving up without aversion or aggression, without any harmfulness toward anyone. One is not complaining or finding fault. One just sees everything as empty. It means coming to the point where the mind is empty. It is empty of grasping attachment to things. That doesn't mean that there is nothing, no people or objects in the world. There is empty mind, there is people, there are things. But in in the mind, there is the perception of it all as truth, as something uncertain. Things are seen as being the way they are, following their natural course as elemental nature arising and passing away. For example, you might have a vase. You feel that it's something nice, but from its own side, it exists indifferently. It doesn't have anything to say. 
It's only you who have the feelings about it, you who live and die over it. If you dislike or hate it, it won't be affected. That's your affair. It is indifferent, but you have these feelings of like or dislike and then get attached to them. We judge different things as being good or bad. This good troubles our hearts. Bad troubles our hearts. Both are defilements. This good and bad is the disease of the mind. We don't need to run away to any other place. We need only look at and investigate this point. This is the way the mind is. When we dislike something, that object of dislike isn't affected. It remains as it is. When we like something, it isn't affected by our liking, but remains just as it is. We are only making ourselves insane. That's all. Of course, this doesn't even get into the projections we put on people and animals. We think we know what other people are feeling. Sometimes we do. Sometimes intuitively we're, we're, we're there, but so often it's just our ideas. Everybody has a bias. We all know why we do the not-so-great things that we do. There's reasons, reasons we can bring up and use to defend ourselves. But when we see somebody else being careless or driving too fast or drinking too much, whatever, it's because they're no good. We're almost in disbelief that people can be so callous and careless doing the sorts of things that we do for perfectly good reasons. He says, you, th- you think some things are good, you see other things as great, but you are projecting these ideas from yourself. If you are aware of yourself, you will realize that all these things are equal. An easy illustration is food. He's going to get a little earthy here. We feel this or that kind of food is nice. When we see the dishes on the table, they're attractive. Once everything is put together in the stomach, it's another story. But we look at the different dishes and say, this one's for me. That one's yours. That one is hers. When we've eaten and then it comes out the other end, probably no one is going to contend over it and say... This is mine. That's yours. (laughs) Or is that not so? Will you still be possessive and greedy over it? This is putting it briefly and simply. If you see clearly and make up your mind, everything will be of equal value to you. When we have desires and think in terms of mine and yours, then we end up in conflict. When we see things as being equal, then we don't see them as belonging to anyone. They're just conditions existing as they are. No matter how fine the food is that we eat it, that we eat, once it is excreted, no one wants to pick it up and make a big deal out of it. No one will fight over it. <clears throat> when we realize things as this one dharma, this one truth, all being of the same nature, we relax our grip, we put things down. 
We see they are empty and we don't have love and hate for them. We have peace. It is said nirvana is the supreme happiness. Nirvana is the supreme emptiness. Please listen to this carefully. Happiness in the world is not supreme ultimate happiness. What we conceive of as emptiness is not supreme emptiness. If it is supreme emptiness, there is an end of grasping and attachment. If there is supreme happiness, there is peace. But the peace we know is still not supreme. The happiness we know is not supreme. If we reach nirvana, then emptiness is supreme and happiness is supreme. There is transformation. The character of happiness is transformed into peace. There is happiness, but we don't give it any special meaning. There's suffering also. Even in nirvana, there is suffering. There is suffering also. When these occur, we see them as equal. Their value is the same. The sensory sensory experiences we like and dislike are equal, but when they contact us, we don't see them as equal. If something is pleasing, we are really happy over it. If something is displeasing, we want to destroy it. So they aren't the same to us, but in truth, they really are equal. We have to train in this. They are equal in that they are unstable and impermanent. All things pass. I'm going to skip ahead here, Um, go to another chapter. This is chapter 13, entitled, It's Not Permanent, It's Not Sure. He says, we focus on the here and now dharma. This is where we can let go of things and resolve our difficulties. Right now, in the present, because the present moment contains both cause and result. The present is the fruit of the past. It is also the cause of the future. That we are sitting here right now is the result of what we have done in the past and what we will do and what we do now will become the cause for what we experience in the future. So the Buddha taught to discard the past and discard the future. discard the past and discard the future all we ever have is now in some unofficial gospel Jesus said recognize what is in your sight and that which is hidden from you will become plain truth we're looking for is right here. When we realize the nature of things, when we relax our grasping and our aversion, then we are able to rest in the present. We're able to settle in. 
realize this is where we need to be. This is where our work is done. <clears throat> and so the Buddha taught to discard the past and discard the future. Saying discard doesn't really mean that we throw everything away, but that we remain in this single point of the present where the past and future come together. So the word discard is just a way of speaking. What we want to do is be aware of the present where causes and results are to be found. We look at the present and see continuous arising and ceasing, arising, <coughs> arising and ceasing. <clears throat> I keep saying this, but people don't really take it to heart. Phenomena appear in the present moment, and they are not stable or reliable. People don't look at this very much. Whatever comes about, I will say, oh, this is not permanent, or this is uncertain. This is extremely simple. <clears throat> Whatever occurs is impermanent and uncertain. But not seeing or understanding this, we become confused and distressed. In what is impermanent, we see permanence. In what is uncertain, we see certainty. I explain it, but people don't get it, and they end up living their lives in endless pursuit of things. <clears throat> we... we, we Ordinary people need to have our noses rubbed into it before it sinks in. Remember hearing that a lot in AA. Uh, people <clears throat> recognizing that without a lot of pain, they didn't learn. For doing whatever unhelpful, unwholesome things we're doing and everything is going along okay, uh, it's hard for us to change. Unlikely that people will change. But once it begins to bite, then we notice. Or we have a chance to notice. <clears throat> a lot of the difficulties that we run into are actually a gift. It's a way of getting our attention way of waking us up to the way things actually are. Well, whatever we're doing is a disaster, <clears throat> then we're ready to change. There was a clergyman in the uh, 17 or 1800s that said, it's no use preaching to a man unless you happen to catch him sick. <clears throat> he says, really, if you reach the point of peace, you will be here at this place I'm talking about, this point in the present. Whatever appears, any form of happiness or suffering, you will see that it is uncertain. This very uncertainty is itself the Buddha because uncertainty is the Dharma and the Dharma is the Buddha. The Dharma, the law, the truth. 
but most people believe the Buddha and the Dharma to be something external to themselves. When the mind starts to realize that all things without exception are by their very nature uncertain, the problems of grasping and attachment start to decrease and wither away. If we understand this, the mind starts to let go and put things down, not grasping onto things, and attachment can come to an end. When it comes to an end, one must reach the Dharma. There is nothing beyond this. The Taoist sage Chuang Tzu said, to the mind that is still, the universe surrenders. Relinquishing, grasping, and attachment is the way. It's within the capabilities of everyone to go in that direction. To go in that direction, we need to see what we're doing. And we need to be okay with seeing what we're doing. So much we can learn if we're willing to see our faults, willing to see what we do that's unskillful, willing to notice what the results are. But if we're constantly preoccupied with papering things over, building up our self-image, looking respectable, then we're not even in the game. Really, if, if we look, if we see, and of course Sashin puts it right in our face, humility rises up naturally. And with it, openness, acceptance, compassion, all the virtues. And then we have a path and determination, energy can arise. We know what we need to do. We're not looking for a short solution for temporary relief. We're not trying to manipulate things. We're not relying on hope. Doing the work with faith. He says, when we meditate, this is what we want to realize. We want to see impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self, and this begins with seeing uncertainty. When we see it perfectly clearly, then we can let go. When we experience happiness, we see that this is uncertain. Then when we experience suffering, we see that this is uncertain. We get the idea that it would be good to go to some place 
and we realize it's uncertain. We think it would be good to stay where we are, and we realize that's uncertain too. We see that absolutely everything is uncertain, and we will live at ease. Then we can stay where we are and be comfortable, or we can go somewhere else and be comfortable. <clears throat> we no longer are caught up in uh, decision paralysis, always worrying, should I do this, should I do that? Do one or the other. <laughs> do something. Or do nothing. That's something to do too. He says doubts will end like this. They will end by this method of practicing in the present. There is no need to be anxious about the past because it is gone. Whatever happened in the past has arisen and ceased in the past, and now it's finished. We can let go of concern about the future because whatever will occur in the future will occur and cease in the future. <clears throat> When the lay supporters come to make offerings here, they recite, In the end, may we finally reach nirvana in a future time. When or where that is, they don't really know. It's so very far away. They don't say here and now. They say sometime in the future. It's always somewhere, sometime there, not here, only there. In the next life, it will also be there. And in future lives, it will be there. So they never arrive because it's always there. <clears throat> we want to be here. Our time is up. Stop now and recite the four vows.